Well, Woodlands Church, we're concluding the series we've been in on how to melt the barriers that hold you back in life. And today we're talking about thawing out your frozen dreams because we all start out with sweet dreams of what life can be. We all have dreams and plans to really make a difference, to do something great with our one and only life. But it doesn't take long for the blizzards of life to bury our dreams. And our dreams get put in the deep freeze. We get hit with the winter storms of difficulties and disappointments. And instead of dreaming big dreams and believing that God can do something great in our lives, we go into survival mode. We put our dreams on ice. That's why I have up here a beautiful ice sculpture. This ice sculpture is of a dove, and it amazes me how professional ice sculptors can create something like this out of something like this. It's amazing. They take a 250-pound block of ice, and they can carve a beautiful dove out of it. And if we're going to really discover God's dream and plan for our lives, we've got to carve down past the problems and the pain to discover God's plan. And that's what God wants us to do. So today we're going to look at one of the greatest dreamers in the Bible, Joseph, because Joseph shows us that God gives ordinary people great dreams. We're first introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 as we see that he's just an ordinary, normal teenager. Now, a lot of people use age as an excuse for why they can't go for the dreams that God has placed in their heart. They'll say, well, I'm just too young to be used by God. But all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, God has always used students and teenagers to change the world. You're never too young for God to use you. And some people say, well, I'm just too old for God to use me. But you're never too old to find and follow God's dream for your life. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And would you stand in honor of God's word? I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. So just follow along with me. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Dear God, I pray today that you would just thaw out those frozen dreams that have been buried long ago in our hearts. For Lord, you place in our hearts dreams and plans that come from you. But so many times, Lord, the problems and the difficulties of life drown out the dream. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would just help us align ourselves with you in such a way that you would bring those dreams back to the surface, that you would resurrect dying dreams and hopes and plans, and that you, Lord, would just do miracles in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, Joseph came from a blended family where his father loved him more than he loved his other brothers, and his brothers hated him for it, so his brothers sold him to slave traders who were going to Egypt. Then they went back and they told their father, a wild animal has eaten Joseph. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> and Joseph was the product of a dysfunctional family. Why is it that there are so many dysfunctional families in the Bible? You know, family after family seems to be dysfunctional. That's because all families have some dysfunction in them. 
And so and Joseph is the product of a dysfunctional family. Here he is, an ordinary 17-year-old, brash, know-it-all teenager from a dysfunctional family, but God gives him a great dream. Joseph has the dream of being a great leader that will rescue his people. And the dream takes hold of his heart and it changes him. It shapes his destiny because that's what dreams do. But I want you to know that he's an ordinary Joe. I mean, Joseph was just an ordinary teenager, but God gave him an extraordinary dream. And God wants to give ordinary you a great dream. God wants to give ordinary you great plans and a great purpose, but we've got to find it. You see, the problem is most of us are always trying to carve out our own dream for our lives, kind of like chipping away. We're over here just chipping away, trying to carve out our own little dream, our own little plan for our life, and probably you don't know, but I'm also a professional ice sculptor. And so over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to carve out Noah's Ark with all the animals <laughs> and label all of them. So it's going to take me a little while. Ow! That hurt. I always say safety third, so you guys don't worry on the front row. And the I call it the splash zone at Woodlands Church on the front row. Y'all are so brave, and I appreciate that. But the problem is we're trying to carve out our own little dream for our life. We're trying to carve out our own little plan for our life. And see, I could carve for another three hours, but I would just make a bigger mess. And that's what a lot of people do with their life. They try to carve out their own little dream for their life, and they just make a mess of everything. When we have a master sculptor, who wants to carve out his dream for our lives. You see, what professional sculptors do before they get started is they have a tool where they can draw out the dream on the ice. And so this professional sculptor, before he carved out this dove, he drew the dove out. They draw the dream out. And God has already drawn out his plan for your life before you were ever born. God had already drawn up the dream for Joseph's life before he was born. It's just that many times we're trying to create our own dream and carve out our own dream and we miss out on God's plan and God's purpose. That's why it's so important to dedicate your whole life to God, the master sculptor, and say, God, I want you to carve out your dream for my life. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. Do not conform to the standards of this world but let God transform you. Then you'll be able to know the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. He's saying, dedicate yourself totally to God, totally surrender to God, then he will reveal his will for your life. But many times we're over here just chipping away, trying to create our little plan. And we say, God, could you come over and bless my dream? It's a really good dream. And it involves you. So, God, if you'll bless it, I mean, yeah, it's a great dream. I've planned it all up. I've really thought it through. And I've come up with this great dream for my life, and I need you to bless it. Or we say, God, would you show me your will for my life? And then I can look at the will that I've 
put together, the plan I put together, and I can decide between the two. That's what we think a lot of the time. We may not say that to God, but that's what we're thinking. God, show me your will so I can decide whether I want to do it or not. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. No, you have to surrender your whole heart to me. And once you surrender your whole heart, then I'll reveal my will to you. But not until you say yes to my dream for your life. You've got to stop carving away on your dream. And you've got to come over and say, God, I give you the tools. I want you to carve away so that you can carve your dream into my life. I want your plan. So you surrender your heart totally to God. I always tell people you can follow your heart. Follow your heart because God places dreams in your heart. When God wants to do something great in someone's life, he always puts a dream in their heart. And I always say you can follow your heart if your heart is totally surrendered to God. But if your heart is not totally surrendered to God, you better not follow your heart. Don't dare follow your heart because your heart will lead you into all kinds of pain and problems down a rocky road. You have to surrender your whole heart to God. And then he reveals his will to you. You say yes to God's plan. And then God begins to reveal his plan to you. But not before. And some of you I know are thinking, I'm really scared to do that. I mean, what if I say yes to God's dream for my life and it ends up being a nightmare? Well, I want you to underline the last word in that last verse, perfect. The word perfect, because that word in the Greek literally means just right for you. Just right for you. He's saying that God's plan for your life is the perfect plan for you. Chris and I both dedicated our lives totally to God individually, and God led us together. God led me to the perfect wife for me. Am I a perfect husband? No, but I'm the perfect husband for her. I always tell her, God brought me into your life to teach you things you didn't know, like patience <laughs> and how to forgive a lot, things that you needed. I'm your holy sandpaper that God's used to rub off the rough edges of your character. And then God's using me in your life. She's the perfect wife for me. I'm the perfect husband for her. And that's the way God works. If you dedicate your whole life to God and you say yes to God's dream, he reveals it to you and it's the most rewarding, fulfilling plan you could ever live. There will be problems and pain. There will be difficulties and delays and dead ends. But there is no more rewarding plan for your life than God's plan for your life because he created you. He knows how you work best. He knows what fulfills you. And you've got to stop chipping away at your own little plan and give the tools to God to carve out his plan for your life. What I'm saying is, if you surrender your heart totally to God and you give God first place in your life, you give him your time, your talent, your treasure, you surrender your whole heart to God, you can't miss God's will for your life. You can't go wrong. The Bible says in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He's saying if you put God first, then you can't go wrong. God will shut some doors. God will open some doors, but he won't let you get out of his will if you'll surrender your whole life to God. And then you listen to God, spend time with him, 10, 15 minutes in the morning or at night, just spending time with God and, and learning to hear his voice and reading his word, writing down what he's showing you. It's so important. Now, a master sculptor will first and foremost draw out the dream on the ice. But then they have to 
do the carving process. They have to carve away the big chunks first, and what they use to do that is literally a chainsaw. It's true. This is the chainsaw stage for the ice sculpture. I warned you about the front row, didn't I? <laughs> Safety third. They will cut off chunks this big. Isn't that crazy? They start cutting off the big chunks of ice that don't look like the dove, that don't look like the dream that they're carving. And the master sculptor has to do the same thing. God has to carve away all my character flaws that don't look like the dream. God has to carve away all those things that don't look like Christ because he's more concerned about who the dream makes you than what the dream is. We get all caught up in doing something great and big for God, but God says, I'm more interested in who you are, who you're becoming than what you're doing. I'm more interested in your character than in your calling. And so God begins to carve away all those things that don't look like himself. Joseph dedicated his whole life to God, and God revealed the dream that he had drawn up for him. But there was still a lot of selfishness in Joseph that got mixed up with God's dream for his life. And God had to carve away that selfishness. God had to carve away that pride. There was a lot of pride that was mixed in with Joseph's dream, and God had to carve out that pride so it could be the pure dream from God that God had for him. And that's what God does. He takes the dream and he carves away all those things that aren't really part of his dream that are part of our selfishness and our ego and our pride that get mixed in. Joseph was his father's favorite. So his father made him this very ornate coat of many colors. And that coat sort of represented Joseph's dream, that he would be royalty one day, that he would be a great leader, that he would have many royal coats, a royal wardrobe to wear. And Joseph wore that coat proudly around his brothers. And they would say, here comes daddy's favorite. You know what I'd like to do with that coat? I mean, they hated him for it. He, he had a lot of pride in the dream that was all mixed up, a lot of selfishness mixed up in the dream. And so every time his brothers would do something wrong and they did a lot of wrong things, he would go tell his dad on them, which really endeared them to Joseph. And he would brag about the dream. He'd go around going, hey, guys, you won't believe this dream. God gave me this amazing dream where I'm this great leader. Oh, by the way, and you guys are bowing down to me. It's really awesome. They didn't think it was too awesome. And by the way, you shouldn't share the dream too early. A lot of people share their dream to dream killers. The dream gets killed right off. And Joseph shared his dream too early, but God was merciful. Don't share the dream too early. There's a right time to share the dream and step out. And there's a time to let it cultivate in your heart for God to take the selfishness out of it. And God began to do that with Joseph. You see, Joseph came around one day and his brothers had finally had enough. In fact, look at this next passage in Genesis 37, 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. So his brothers had finally had enough. You know, Joseph was bragging about the dream. And it was a dream from God, but he had a lot of pride mixed into the dream at that time. And that's the way Satan works. So I want you to see this because 
if Satan can't keep you from really totally surrendering to God and his plan for your life, then he'll try to get you proud that you totally surrender to God and his plan for your life. He wants to stop you from totally surrendering to God. He really is afraid if you totally surrender your whole heart to God, he fears your heart. But if you totally surrender your whole heart to God, he can't do anything else. He's going to try to get you proud that you've totally surrendered your whole heart to God. And he'll whisper things in your ear like, you're more spiritual than most people. I mean, you're more dedicated to God than all your friends. I mean, you're just really sacrificing all the time for God. You just, I mean, you're just all out for God. No one else is as strong spiritually as you are. No one else is sacrificing like you. No one else is as dedicated as you. That's the way Satan works. If he can't keep you from following God with your whole heart, he'll try to get you proud that you're following God with your whole heart because God can't use you when you're proud. Either way, you're dead in the water. And that's what happens to a lot of folks. You know, they start really living for God and then they start living, man, I'm living for God more than anybody else. I'm more committed to God than people around me. You know, I'm just so committed to the Lord. I mean, God's probably never seen someone so spiritual as I am. And it's so important to understand that God will carve away that pride. Whenever someone comes up to me like that, it's like, Pastor Kerry, you know, I don't like your church because no one here is spiritual enough for me. I always say, well, I don't like you, so no big deal. God bless you. God bless you. Move along. And uh, no, I don't say that. I try to be nicer than that, but I do say move along. And, <laughs> but I don't worry about it. You know why? Because God has a million ways to humble you. I don't have to humble anybody. I, I, you know, God, can hum, hum, God has humbled me so many times. You know, when you start really living for God and then Satan tries to make you proud and start getting proud about it, you're dead in the water. God can't use you but he loves you enough to start carving away the pride and the ego out of the dream. You see, they stole Joseph's coat. They stripped it off him. That coat sort of represented the pride that was in his dream. And they stripped away his coat. Joseph got stripped of the pride that was in his dream. And there have been many times in my life where God has stripped away my coat of pride to get down to God's pure dream for my life. He always takes care of it. He'll carve away my ego and pride and selfishness so that what's left is his dream and it's not mixed with my selfishness and pride. Joseph lost his coat, but he didn't lose the dream. You better know the difference between your coat of pride and the dream. You gotta know the difference between your coat and the dream because you can lose your coat, but you'll never lose the dream. God is just stripping away your coat to get down to the real dream. And some of you are in the chainsaw stage right now and you're thinking that, the dream is dying. No, it's going to come alive. God is just carving all the things away that keep the dream from coming alive. He's carving away your pride. Joseph lost his coat of pride, and it came down to the dream. Now, how do we lose that coat of pride? God uses problems and pain as the chainsaw. God used betrayal in Joseph's life, and nothing carves away more of your ego and pride than being wounded by betrayal. And God carved that out of Joseph's life, so he's getting right down to the dream. But God also uses temptation to carve away everything in our lives that isn't integrity. He uses temptation to carve away everything but our integrity. After Joseph was sold into slavery, he was a servant in the house of a guy named Potiphar in Egypt. And Potiphar notices how trustworthy Joseph is. He puts him in charge of his whole household, but Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Now think about it. 
Joseph could have said, I am in a foreign land where no one knows me. No one would ever know. And by the way, this is their culture. Everyone commits adultery in this culture. Nobody seems to care. Nobody would ever know. And by the way, why should I follow God anyway? I've been following God with my whole heart and look where it's gotten me. Sold into slavery. Think about it. Joseph could have thought all those things, but he didn't. He said no to Potiphar's wife. He said no because your husband trusts me and because I love God. And you can take everything else away from me, but you can't take my integrity unless I give it to you, and I'm not going to do that. But look at this next verse because she tries it again in Genesis 39, 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. This is the second time Joseph loses his coat. He's always losing his coat. He lost his coat, but he didn't lose his integrity. He runs from her, and as he does, she grabs his coat and strips it from him, but he runs away from temptation, and that's what the Bible says to do. You've got to run from temptation. You've got to take it seriously. You've got to humbly admit, I've got to get out of here. I've got to run from this, or I'm going to fall. And there will be many times in your life where you'll be faced with a choice to lose your coat or lose your integrity. No coat is worth your integrity. No coat is worth losing your integrity over. There'll be many times in your life where you're faced with a choice. You can lose your coat or lose your integrity. And some of you are faced with that right now. You got a friend who's dragging you down. You can lose that friend or lose your integrity. You better lose the friend. Some of you are faced with it right now. You've got a chance to make some extra money, but it's sort of cheating. It's kind of going over the line. But a lot of people do it, and no one would ever know. You have a choice. You can lose that money or lose your integrity. No amount of money is worth your integrity. Some of you who are married have someone flirting with you at the office, and it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel valued and noticed, and it just feels good, and it seems like it's no big deal. You have a choice. You can lose that feeling, or eventually you'll lose your integrity because that's what's going to happen. That's the road that you're on. You say, oh, no, we're just good friends. Most affairs occur between good friends. Don't you know that? Sometimes people say, oh, no, yeah, we flirt a lot, but we're just best friends. We're both married. We're best friends. I go, well, don't you know all the studies show that most affairs occur between best friends? Are you an idiot? I mean, run from temptation. It's not worth losing your integrity over. So Joseph loses his coat, but he doesn't lose his integrity. And every time you have a choice between losing your coat or losing your integrity, and you choose losing your coat, it builds your integrity. It builds your character, and God is more interested in your character than your calling. He's more interested in who the dream is making you than what the dream is. We get so caught up in what the dream is and what's God's will for our life, and God says, my will for your life is that you be the man or woman of God I've called you to be. It's not what you're doing. It's who you're becoming. That's more important to God. But then I have to show you that God also carves away the bitterness to get down to the dream. God has to carve away the resentment and the bitterness in our lives or the dream just stays frozen. And that's what happened with Joseph because bitterness is a blizzard that buries dreams. Bitterness is a dream killer. There'll be many times you get wounded in life and you have a choice to get bitter or to choose to forgive. 
Think about Joseph. He had so many opportunities to get bitter in his life. He could have become bitter at his brothers for selling him into slavery. He could have become bitter because Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He got thrown in jail when he did the right thing. He could have become bitter because they threw him in jail and threw away the key and everyone forgot about him for years. But every time he chose to forgive and release the resentment, whether he felt like it or not, he kept choosing to forgive because he knew that bitterness would bury the dream. Bitterness would destroy the dream. He lost everything else, but he didn't lose the dream. He kept believing God's promises, that God was going to come through. And you know the story. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He gets elevated to second command in all of Egypt. And then a famine hits the land, and his brothers have to come to Egypt to ask for food. And they stand before Joseph, but they don't recognize him. Joseph then reveals his identity, and they're shaking in their boots. They are so afraid because they know he's getting ready to take vengeance because that's what everybody does. They know that, man, we're getting what we deserve now. It's going to be horrible. But look what Joseph says to them. And this reveals so much about his character. Look at it with me in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me and my God that I can punish you. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph said, I forgave you years ago. Now, you intended to steal the dream, but God used it to fulfill the dream. You tried to steal the dream away from me, but God used it to fulfill the dream, his dream, not my dream any longer. And I forgave you. You see, you have to choose to forgive for your own sake. Not because they deserve it, not because you feel like it, but because God commands it. And when you hold on to bitterness, it just hurts you. You hold on to bitterness, it's a poison that destroys your own life. And so you have to release it. And by the way, when you release someone and you forgive someone, and you say, well, they haven't changed, they keep hurting people, here's what happens. You release them into the hands of God. Joseph said, I can't take vengeance. That's God's job. I'm not God. That's his job. There are two things that God says I will not share, and that's my glory and my vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so when you give someone over to God, he's going to take care of it one way or the other. He's going to take care of it. You can trust him too. One day he's going to take care of it. And so we give it over to God. We release the bitterness and we hold on to the dream. If you hold on to the bitterness, you're letting go of the dream and what God wants to do in your life. You see, I know that you've been wounded. Some of you have some really deep wounds and deep hurts because someone in your past really tried to hurt you. They tried to steal the dream, but what they did, God's gonna use it to fulfill the dream. They can't steal the dream. There's no wound or hurt or betrayal that can stop God's dream for your life. In fact, God can take the hurt and some, somehow weave it in and use it to fulfill the dream. That's what he did in Joseph's life. Somehow God can take your greatest pain and turn it into his purpose if you choose to forgive. That's what God did with Joseph. And Joseph learned something powerful along the way, and that is the dream is always about the team. The dream is always about the team. When Joseph first got the dream, he thought it was a dream to be a great leader. 
But now he discovers it wasn't a dream to be a great leader. It was a dream to be a great servant, to help save the lives of many, many people, to serve many people, to serve his family, to serve the nation, to serve. It was all about serving the whole time. It was about serving the team. The dream was about the team. It wasn't about him at all because when you get down to God's dream, it's not about you. It's about God's purpose and it's about others. See, Joseph at 17 years of age thought it was a cool dream. Hey, God gave me this really cool dream. I'm going to be this great leader walking around with a fine wardrobe of royalty. I'm going to be this great leader. People are going to have to do what I say. No one can tell me what to do. It's going to be so cool. But he realizes he misinterpreted the dream from God. But now he knows what it means because he's learned how to serve. Where did he learn how to serve? I think he started learning it in Potiphar's house. And then he continued to learn it in prison when he kept serving the inmates around him because he knew he was working for God. And God was carving away all those things in his life that weren't the dream. So he totally understood the dream and he knew when he got raised up to that position that his character matched his calling. And he was able to see the dream for what it was. The dream was about the team. I love that. The dream was about the team. Now, I was seeing some pictures the other day of a sport called ice climbing. Now, I'm, I'm familiar with mountain climbing, and I watched the documentary Free Solo, where, you know, the, these guys that climb mountains and don't have anything to protect them, they're not tied into anything. But I thought that was really extreme. But this ice climbing, I mean, that's unbelievable. Here's a picture of a guy who's ice climbing. He's climbing an iced-over waterfall. And what they use is these big ice picks to climb. And it's crazy. It looks so dangerous, doesn't it? It is. But it's not nearly as dangerous as climbing a ladder at your house and trying to clean out the gutters. Did you know that? I mean, that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Over 500,000 injuries happened last year, serious injuries for people that were climbing up ladders in their house or outside their house doing projects. 500,000 serious injuries. It's more dangerous than ice climbing. Why? Because you don't think you need any help, so you do it by yourself. You do something really stupid. It's a lot of guys about my age that think they're still in their 20s and really spry, and they, they climb up, you know, and get about six, seven feet off the ground and lose their balance or there's no one holding the ladder and they just fall. It's really pathetic, <laughs> but it's painful because they don't think they need a team. I think I can handle this on my own. It's more dangerous than ice climbing because you don't have a team. When you go ice climbing, you know this is really dangerous. We're going to have a team. We're going to be tied in. We're going to do all the safety precautions that we can do because this is really dangerous. But when you climb a ladder, you don't think that. Hey, guys, you all have a ladder over there. I'll, I'll demonstrate this. I'll just fall off one and show you how it works. And These guys are bringing out a ladder, and they're going to hold the ladder because your dream is only as good as your team. You can only go as high as your ladder holders will allow you to go. So these guys are going to hold my ladder, and um, I'm really scared because a few of them are musicians, and so... Um, I don't know how strong they are. So anyway, uh, I'm going to climb up, but I trust them because they're holding my ladder. And so I'm going to go even all the way up here, and I'm not going any farther because I don't trust them any more than this. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to step down one. You can only go as high as your ladder holders, and we are to be ladder holders, and we are to go up on ladders with ladder holders. You've got to have a team around you or you never reach your dream. A dream always takes a team. 
and you hold people's ladder and they hold your ladder and you'll never get higher than your ladder holders will allow you to go. And it kind of concerns me that Stephen doesn't even care. <laughs> Are you praying, Stephen? Yes. Okay, maybe get, maybe, yeah. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, you see, you don't want a ladder holder who is great 90% of the time, but then they go off and get some coffee. You don't want a ladder holder that's really with you 50% of the time, but they get real distracted. And they're not always there. They, I feel like really holding your ladder today, and then you get up there, and you know what? I don't feel like it anymore. You need some ladder holders that are faithful and connected to you. You need to be a ladder holder that's faithful and connected, not like Stephen, who doesn't care. You need someone... <laughs> You need people in the game with you, connected. And you develop that over time because you can only go as high as your ladder holders allow you to go. So the question is, who's holding your ladder? And whose ladder are you holding? Thank you, guys. Give them a big hand. And I didn't fall. Who is holding your ladder? Are you connected to anyone? Are you connected to anyone in your life? That's why it's so important to get connected in a life group. You need to be with a group of people and start building those relationships. And next weekend, we're kicking off this amazing adventure the whole church is going through. The gift of one day. As Chris and I will be speaking this next month on the weekends on the gift of one day. How to unwrap the gift of one day because if you change what you do in a day, you change your life. And how to really make it through the tough times and follow God's dream for your life. The gift of one day is gonna be powerful and every Life group is going through it. And we want everyone to be connected to a life group. In fact, next week we kick off the series. And then the next week all the life groups start. And, and you'll get a gift of one day book. And also we have these books called the Miracle Book. It's a blank notebook where you'll write down all the things that God is doing in your life over the month. So you'll notice the things God's doing, the miracles God's doing, the ways that God is working in your life in this gift of one day adventure. But we want everyone to be part of a life group because all the life groups are going through it. And they'll meet once a week or once every other week for five sessions. And we have the video you download. It's 10 minutes. You discuss it. You have refreshments. But we want everyone to be in a life group. So today, Connection Weekend at Woodlands Church, we have a life group fair. After you leave the service, you're going to see people representing men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, singles groups. And pick a group and get connected. They're going to help you get connected. So don't leave the campus until you get connected. Don't leave your campus, all you guys at the satellites, until you get connected, okay, in a life group. Because you got to start now building a team that will hold your ladder. And the best way to do that is in a life group. And they'll help you get connected with people going through the same stage of life as you. They're having a lot of fun out there, too. I think there's axe throwing for, uh, at the men's group area and... There's a, a bull, mechanical bull out there for the couple's area. I don't know how that fits in, but the, you know, it's, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. But we want you to get connected. And you need to be connected to a church family. You need to be on a dream team, a church family. And today we have our membership class. It's right after this service. It's from 1 to 3. I teach it live. There are over 350 signed up today for our membership class. That's bigger than a lot of churches. And, and all you have to do is just come to the membership class, get connected. Get connected. If you're not part of a local church family, that's part of God's will for your life. And when you connect to God's church, when you connect to a local church body, and a lot of great churches around here, but you've got to choose one, you've got to connect. And when you connect, God blesses your dream. It starts fitting into God's purpose. You see, 
God's dream is always about serving others, and God's dream is also about His ultimate purpose for the world. Joseph found that out. Look what he said to his brothers in Genesis 45.7. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. He discovers the dream wasn't about Joseph after all. It wasn't about him being a great leader. It was about God's purpose for his people. God building his people up and saving his people. The dream wasn't about Joseph. It was about God's ultimate purpose. And what is God's ultimate purpose? Today, it's the church, the body of Christ. God says, I want you to be my hands and feet. Christ ascended to heaven, but said, I am going to live inside you through my Holy Spirit, and you're to be my hands, my feet, my voice to help the hurting. You're to be my representatives on this earth. You are my body, the church. And so whenever you connect to God's ultimate dream, the church, God blesses your dream. And you start seeing it's all about serving others and being connected to what God is doing in the world today. Rather than having a selfish dream that dies with you, you connect to a local church family, you're part of God's ultimate dream, and you begin to use that dream that makes a difference for all eternity. And that's what it's all about. In Ephesians 1.23, it says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. God's ultimate dream is the church. Are you connected to a dream team? Are you connected to the church? Have you joined? Have you connected to a life group? I'm telling you, you need some people in your life. When everyone else walks out, they walk in. You need some people in your life, and that takes some time to develop, but it starts with connecting. Today is Connection Weekend at Woodland Church. It's been an amazing weekend, and so I want to ask you, are you connected? Who's holding your ladder? Whose ladder are you holding? Are you part of God's ultimate dream so he can bless your dream? I want us to go before the Lord today and, and just pray together. I want to pray for you for God's blessing and for God to melt away all those things that aren't part of his dream and to bring, bring the dream again to the top, to resurrect a dying dream. But my question is, are you connected? Are you connected to the power source, Jesus Christ, and to his church and to a group of people going the right direction? Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you today on this Connection Weekend at Woodlands Church, and we thank you that we were made for connection. I pray, Lord, for everyone who's disconnected from you, that today they would just surrender their hearts and say, Jesus, I need you to save me, to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Take me to heaven one day. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's going through the chainsaw stage right now, and it's really hard in the pain that they're in to see that you have a good plan. But Lord, I just pray that you would show them that there's no pain that could stop your purpose for their life. Pray for those who've gone through betrayal, that you would just show them no matter how much someone tried to steal the dream, you're going to use it to fulfill the dream. And Lord, I pray for those who are holding on to hurt and bitterness, that you just help them let it go for your glory and their good. I pray, Lord, for all those who aren't connected to a church family, that today they would take that baby step. They would just stop making any excuses and they would join the church today. Come to the membership class, get connected. And then, Lord, I pray for those who aren't in a life group that before we get this great adventure started, that they would connect. And, Lord, you would continue to build the people around them that will help fulfill the dreams that you've placed in their hearts. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us, and we just praise God for the ability to give. Everything we give is something God already gave us. And so we're going to sing to the Lord and worship, and we're going to worship him through our giving. Let's pray God will bless it. Lord, bless our giving, and I thank you that we can outgive you. Bless all those who give. And Lord, I also ask you to multiply these gifts in the ministries and missions of the church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.